Uh, you ever really, really try to do what Matt talked about this morning, to prepare yourself, to get ready, to, to, to calm your mind and your heart, to slow down, to try to think and prepare not just your mind, but your heart to be in the presence of Almighty God? Do you ever try to do that and fail miserably? This morning was that for me. Our, our, our whole series on good church has been this desire to help us as a body to slow down and focus and recenter ourselves on what the church did and who the church worshipped. But, but we have cell phones, we have kids, we have things that, that come up and distract us. This morning, I was sitting there, I was, I was just, I just need a minute or two. I had already prayed over the message. I had already prayed about today. And, and in just sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the, things are going good. Jay starts the first song, and I look down, and I realize, as I'm thinking about the welcome, that I'm not prepared. And instantly I move from a moment of preparation and diligence and thoughtfulness to like a squirrel in a nut farm, just taking off, going to the back, getting the thing. I mean, I've just, I've gone completely from, from a, a 10 to a 1 in terms of my focus on what we're here to do. You ever, you ever been that way? You ever, you ever experienced that? In a worship service, whether you're a single mom or, or you're, you're, you've got, you've been through some heavy stuff this week or you've lost someone or, or it's an anniversary or something or you've got some things coming up this week and, and you're trying, you're, you want to be close to the Lord, but then something pops up, something happens, something gets in the way. Well, if you've ever been there, this morning what we're going to talk about is I believe the remedy for that. We are talking about being a good church. Talking about the ecclesia. The idea that the church is bigger than a building. So much more. And for people who've grown up in the church and raised in the church, there's this, there's this tendency or temptation maybe to take the church for granted. To feel as if attending or, or worshiping or going to Bible class or, or, or being a part of the church is a, a burden, an obligation, a have to, a thing I must do, not a thing I get to do. And so I want to ask you to refocus with new eyes at a verse that we've been in the past several weeks, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is our sort of our theme verse. We're talking about the, the really the first picture that we have in the New Testament of the original church, the only church that the Bible speaks of. They're meeting at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And Acts 2.42, there's much more description than Acts 2.42. You can read the, the full next six or seven verses. But this is the, the basic idea for this theme, and it's this. Acts 2.42, page 1168 in the Pew Bible, if you don't know where that is. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
and the prayers. This, this is the very simple but powerful things that the church was devoted to. That we in the church are called to devote ourselves to today. See Alex and Aaron Flood sitting back there. Alex is going to be uh, speaking to you about the work in Minnesota here in a couple of weeks, I think. Is that right? And so excited to hear about him. They have done such a marvelous work in Minnesota, really building a church from scratch. Alex studying with and making disciples day by day. And you can imagine the challenges that have come with the past year and a half. But they have formed now a church that meets in their home and that's devoted to the very same things that we are. Devoted to the simple and powerful things that the church is to do together. Today we're talking about a good church being devoted to praying together. There's two ways to think about praying together. The first is praying um, individually. How you pray to your creator with your voice and with your heart, that's something that only you can do. In teaching my children to pray, I often repeated this adage that there were two things that God that, that needed to be in every prayer. The first is reverence. Lord, hallowed be your name, is the way Jesus would say. A reverence, a holy fear, call it what you will, but a reverence that you're not just having a good old conversation with your best friend, best buddy, best pal. There's a reverence in your heart for God. But the second thing to bring to prayer is sincerity. To be yourself to speak with your in your language don't use other people's words and don't use cliches but to speak and to talk in the way that's genuine that's from you i remember my my wonderful friend huey jennings uh, who's gone on to to graduate who's gone on to his reward and you know i can just remember so clearly huey jennings Coming up to lead the Lord's people in prayer, he would come to the pulpit and he would say, all right, y'all, let's do some praying. And then he would bow and he would pray. And he would pray in the very same words on Sunday morning that you would hear him in the speaker at Sam's Monday through Saturday. It was the same Huey. He was speaking with reverence, and also with sincerity. We think about that individually, maybe in the context of here, but there's also, well, there's also peop- the ways that we can do that individually outside of here. Um, let me see. I'm looking for him, and I know he's here. Uh, Justin, where are you? You're hiding well, wherever you are. Yeah, right over there. I see the arrows following over. There we are. Follow the fingers. Okay, here we are. Justin. Justin is so good at that. And it not even planned today, he did that. You can't talk to Justin without him working in. How can I pray for you? You know, he does that with sincerity. That's him. He brings himself to that just for show of it. Would you please stand if Justin Abraham has ever prayed with you?
That is influence. You can all have a seat. Justin doesn't do that so that the preacher brags on him. I'm giving you a positive example of how someone uses sincerity and reverence and prays not just for people, and, but he prays with people. You've done this. I know you have. I've done it too. You're talking with someone. They're going through a hard time. You say, in all sincerity, I'll be praying for you. And some of you are diligent prayers. And and have your list and do all of that. But confession time for me, there are many times when I say, I'll be praying for you and I intend with all the world to do so and never follow up. Justin said in our men's class on Wednesday nights that that's where that began. For him, was he didn't want to not follow up. So instead of waiting to some appointed hour to pray over all the people and trying to remember who he said he'd pray for and trying to remember what to pray for, he stops and prays with you right there, as we did in the office He put his arms around me, he bowed his head, he prayed over me, he prayed over the message today, he prayed over all of us as we gather to do. That's praying personally with both reverence and sincerity. We also pray collectively, and that's a little different. We do that in a lot of ways. Um, I remember, it's a very poignant moment in my spiritual life. Several years ago, Christy and I went to Mayo Clinic with some things concerning her health, the beginning of that journey, and I will not forget when the elders asked me to come into the office. Now, that I've I've been to the elder's office hundreds, maybe thousands of times. That time was different. That time, that time was meaningful and powerful. Not that normal elders' meetings aren't meaningful and powerful. That's not what I mean. But this moment was different because it was personal. I'm just going to ask. They'll hate that I ask them to do this. But I want to ask the shepherds to stand for just a moment. These, these men, and they're not all here today, but, but these men pour themselves far more than you know, both praying individually. They have individuals that they pray for, that they pray for each of you by name, personally. They, they, they pour themselves into praying for you individually. They also will take time specially to pray for you collectively. Uh, for just a minute. Uh, would you all bow your heads with me? And I'm going to ask the shepherds to remain standing. And, And let's us pray for them. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the family at Northside. And we thank you for our shepherds who do such a good job. This past year and a half, two years, has been a burden and a pressure that I can't even begin to imagine. Father, forgive us for when we've been complaining sheep when we've been bleating ever in these shepherds' ears over all the things that are not and all the things that should be. Father, forgive us for sideway conversations and for long letters and all of the challenges 
Father, we just want to pray our overwhelming love and support for these men. May we never make their work a burden, but rather a joy. Father, we pray that you give them all wisdom. We're thankful for their unity that they come together with, that they lead. They make hard decisions, but they do them not out of selfish ambition, but because they love all of us. Father, we thank you for these men. We thank you for all who have served in that role in the past, for their love, for their service that has brought us to this point. We pray, Father, that you, that you be with them, guide them, and continue to show them the way. And may they ever follow as they always have, with faithfulness and great courage. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for their wives. Thank you for the leadership that they provide, especially during hard times. We're so thankful for great and godly men who lead us as you intended. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Shepherds may sit down. Now, let me ask you this. If you have been in the shepherd's office, if the elders have come to pray with you at your home, in the hospital, in the elder's office, would you please stand? You see, elders do important work. And they are a part of how we pray collectively. You all may be seated. So many examples of how we do this collectively. The prayer tree. We think about you get an email if you're on that list. If you're not, contact the office. We'll put you on it. There are intentional ways to pray that we can do as a congregation. We have prayer pals. By the way, have you introduced yourself yet to your prayer pal? I prayed with mine this morning. Mr. Braddock is doing well, and, and we prayed together. But that's not just a me and him thing. That's an all of us thing. We have opportunities more than most to pray together. To pray as a body. I, I hesitate, but I'll, I'll bring it up. Um, we've, we prayed over Joshua. Today would have been his birthday, right? And you remember, and I remember too, the countless prayers of all of us. I remember everyone in this room taking a knee over him. And we pray with you continually. And we want you to know that we, we love you and we often pray for you and Daryl and your whole family. See, prayer doesn't just carry us through good times. It, it's surely meaningful in the hard times. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven, God's family. You see, prayer matters. And it's so important. And so this morning's lesson is not to make you feel guilty for not praying. This morning's lesson is to encourage you to pray. Personally, collectively, together. Because there's power. And when you've been on the receiving end of that prayer, you understand the power of that. And there's so many ways in which we can do that. 
The first thing we think about, oh my goodness, I have no idea what happened here. Squint really hard. Or maybe you guys can just mute the screen and, and, and expand that. In really tiny words, it says, Jesus was devoted to prayer. Now, we'll think about this. Um, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at a few examples of our master's most beautiful example. Mark chapter 1. We're going to go through several, so you, you just kind of have to keep up. But we're at page 1074. Mark 1, 35. Mark records this. Rising very early in the morning, while it was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Some translations say a lonely place. And there he prayed. Jesus preached to thousands. Jesus ministered to hundreds. Jesus led a few. But where he was most powerful, and where was his greatest example, is when he was alone. And the way he yearned for his relationship with his father. Jesus, this wasn't a one and done kind of thing. Turn to Mark 6. 45 and 46. Mark 6, 45 and 46. Page 1080, 1080. Sorry, 1081. <laughs> Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat before him to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up. On the mountain to pray. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke 5, 16 will be, be page 1105. But he, Jesus, would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. The NIV says, but he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love that picture of Jesus in a lonely place, but you need to understand that Jesus was not alone in the lonely place. And he knew that. Turn one chapter over to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke six twelve, page 1106. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Now look what happens in verse 13. When day came, he called his disciples. You know, he spent the night praying over the men that he would choose. Thinking about the men that, that, that he would walk with over the next three years. Turn to Luke 11. Page 1115, the Pew Bible. Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he does. 
Do you think about what prompted that question in the disciples' mind? Well, surely they must have seen Jesus praying again and again and again. Surely there were times they woke up in the morning and Jesus was not there. He was with us last night. Where did he go? To pray. So Jesus was devoted to prayer. Turn to Luke chapter 22. We see even at the very last part of Jesus' life, arguably the hardest part, Luke 22, 41, the, this, the account of Jesus praying there at the Mount of Olives. And he went out, this is page 1132, he went out, <clears throat> came out and went, and as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throne and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Jesus was devoted to prayer his whole life. I, you ask the question, how could Jesus do all of the good that he did, have the reach and influence that he did in just three years. Think about the last three years of your life. What kind of influence, what kind of impact have you made, have you had? Well, Jesus had ultimate, powerful, far-reaching, eternal impact. That happened in no small part because of his dedicated, personal prayer life. You say, well, that was Jesus. That's a pretty high bar to compare. I get it. Okay, I do. But to tell you that Jesus told us to pray, it wasn't just something he said. It was something that he did and something mostly that he lived. Since Jesus was so devoted, his disciples were the same too. The early church was devoted to prayer. Now, we're going to the book of Acts We've already been in Acts 2 for the first picture. It tells us they were devoted to prayer. Let's look at now how they did that. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This rhythm of prayer was a part of Peter and John's life. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the context uh, being for the persecution that the the uh, Peter and John were experiencing and and look how the church look how the church responded they prayed now lord look upon your threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed note this when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't pray for safety and protection. This was not a, sh- a church shrinking back. 
Nothing wrong with praying for safety and protection. I just want you to note the difference. There's a difference between a cowering church and an advancing church. A church on defense versus a church on offense. The picture we get here is a church on offense. Who prayed for boldness and spoke boldly. Turn to Acts chapter 6. Another example. Verse 4. Choosing what we would call deacons, although the scripture never uses that, but choosing men to serve. Brothers, pick out from among you seven men full of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. See, the apostles had lots to get done. They were commissioned by Jesus, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to all the ends of the earth. And they, like us, can easily get distracted from very small things. Not that it wasn't important to serve the widows, but the apostles knew they had to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that was focusing on the ministry of prayer and the word. Isn't that interesting? That they kept prayer at the forefront of what they did. It was not an afterthought. Acts chapter 10. We get the story... Before uh, Cornelius and his household are all saved, we, we get uh, an introduction to Peter. Well, not an introduction, but we see Peter. And it says this. The next day, as they were on their journey, this is verse 9 of chapter 10, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. They didn't just say they were devoted to prayer and ministry of the word. That's something that they lived by. Acts chapter 10 verse, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12 verse 5. Acts 12 verse 5. Peter's in prison. But look what the church did. Were they worried? Were they concerned? Did they think about, oh, what are we going to do now? Huh? No. Look, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer. For him was made to God by the church. Now, I read all of these examples and I think about ministry and the church today and ministry in the church then, and I have one simple question, five words, and it's this How did they do it? Was it because they were better? Were they more dedicated? Were they simply more disciplined? I mean, think about it. Their world was much harder. They, they had, we have all of the conveniences that they don't have. Our lives should be much easier. And yet ask yourself, between the two groups of Christians, which of us was more dedicated to prayer? How? How? Maybe they were more disciplined. Maybe they just had that mental willpower to, to just buckle down and do it and get it done. Maybe. Maybe they were just doggedly more determined. I don't know. But, but the thought occurred to me, and I'll present it to you, and you can argue with me in the foyer if you like. I think they were more devoted to prayer because... They were more dependent on God. You see, for, for, for the early church, prayer was essential. It, you just couldn't go without it. It was like breathing. But for us, for me, sometimes, I'll admit, 
prayer seems optional. Like I can really go through and get by and do things. And, you know, sometimes I even pridefully have this attitude, God, I'll just handle it. Sometimes I do all of the things and then I think, oh, yes, I should pray over that. And so I ask God to bless all the things I've just done. I didn't involve God here or here or here or here. I did all those things. And then in an afterthought, I said, God, bless me in the thing I've just done. Or forgive me. For them, prayer was essential. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Challenging verse, no doubt. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, uh, page 1266. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And the question I know your Bible, how do you do that? That, is, that seems like an impossible level of prayer. Listen, to, to them, prayer was this ongoing conversation. Best example I can think of it is my text message that I have going with my wife. It's ongoing. Sometimes several times a day. Sometimes memes, sometimes pictures, sometimes emojis. But it's all there. Everything. If you had a text thread with God, I wonder when the last time you checked in. You see, they, they prayed without ceasing. They gave thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. They depended on him daily. They needed him to survive. It was something so imperative. It, it, if you've ever been trapped in a messaging a brother who, who flipped on a canoe and he described this life uh, altering moment where he felt like he was going to drown. He was uh, in the upside down canoe in the water. He couldn't get over. He was wrestling. He was fighting. And it was a natural thing because his body yearned for the air. That's the idea of praying without ceasing. You, you yearn for it. You, you need it. You, you, if you, when you stop, you get real fidgety. You get very anxious. Are any of you fidgety and full of anxiety these days? Are any of you full of fear? That's part of your spirit saying, connect with God, connect with God, connect with God, breathe. To them, prayer was like oxygen. I grew up as a kid. Uh, I know some of you don't believe the premise that I grew up, but I did. As a kid, I had childhood asthma. Pretty bad, real bad. And, and before the days when they had the technology that they do now. So I made several trips to the, whew, to the emergency room. There's that moment. I can't describe an asthma attack for you. Only those with asthma truly know what it's like. But it's like being choked from the inside. Your, 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 your airway constricts. And your body, with everything, with everything it has, yearns for air. It's just... Thank <gasps> <laughs> you. Sorry. Uh, 
you get it together. You yearn for it. It's, it's an instinctive thing that your body does. And as, as mom or dad would take me to the emergency room, I would be in the back. It's that, 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 that wheezing. It's your body just yearning for the air. And, and they would give me a shot of some sort of thing, and I don't remember what it was. And uh, I would remember just kind of instantly uh, relax everything. And I would lay back, and, and it's like your body just went. Your soul, your spirit needs God like your body needs oxygen. And some of you are wheezing spiritually. Your spiritual body is just all clenched up, and every part of you yearns for him. And prayer is that moment when everything begins to relax, and your spirit and your soul goes, You see, prayer without ceasing is not this have-to checklist kind of thing. It's an attitude of stop trying to control it all, of stop trying to get to do it all yourself, but to be filled with God. That's why Jesus prayed so often. That's why the church prayed so often. The key to increasing our devotion is not a checklist or a class or another sermon. The key to increasing our devotion is increasing our dependency on God. Turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Read these words with new eyes. Page 1294. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Imagine your friend just wheezing, just... (gasps) And you have an oxygen tank and you bring it to their face. So they can breathe. When you pray for one another, that's what's happening. When you're praying for people who don't have the words to pray. When you're praying for people who are suffering physically. When you're praying for people who are suffering spiritually. You are doing something on a such a powerful. It seems so simple, but it's so powerful. Here's what that looks like on a practical level. It was a couple of weeks ago. It was a Sunday. And for those of you who don't know, a Sunday is a full, full day for the preacher. 
I know what you're thinking. Well, he only got to work one day, so you better go ahead and do it. It had been one of those days, you know, one of those days where it's long and it's full and it's hard. And the, the thing I'm yearning for the most is just to get home and relax. And I got a text message from Matt and Kim Babish. They say, hey, we'd like you to come over to our house for just a time of fellowship. Won't you join us? We're going to meet right after Sunday night. Now, I know they meant, well, I do. But I was exhausted. And so here I am in this caught between moment. Ministry obligation, not wanting to seem rude versus completely spent. And for those preachers who ever turn you down, have mercy, okay? But this day I chose. Y'all go to the Babishes, love them, love their family. Wanted to be with them, knew that though I didn't feel like it, it would be encouraging. It was. We went, we had good fellowship, we talked, we met a few folks. Hospitality, right? Now, while we're meeting, all I'm thinking about is, when is about the right time to exit? I don't want to be too early and be, and be like I'm just rushing off. But I don't, I'm not going to be the last person to leave. And so, about the time we exit with a couple other folks, I'm, I'm hurrying, hurrying. I'm, I'm, I took, took the, the cooler out to the car and I got everything. And I'm trying to get Grace and Tyler and everybody. I'm just, come on, come on, let's go. And as we're about at the door, my wife is sitting conversing with some other ladies, Kim and Julie Perman. And I'm ready to go. In this moment, I am Martha 100%. And Kim says this, Christy, let's pray for you. Uh, Most of you know that the growth that she had on her tongue, praise God, that was all clear, everything's good on that. But, but in this moment, we didn't know that. We didn't know if that growth was nothing or stage four something. And I, I did, unknowingly, I was probably all filled, my, my body was back to a spiritual asthma attack. <gasps> and my friends, the Babishes, gave us their oxygen mask. And they said, let's pray. And I'm such a squirrel, I'm not even praying. I'm taking pictures during the prayer. But do you see the value, what the church does for one another? I know we've got online stuff. I've realized we've got all of that. But that pales in comparison to this moment. And what that meant to me, and mostly what that meant to my wife. When we meet together, may we not just meet together for social reasons, may we meet together and pray together as we're called to do. If you meet a small group, I hope that you spend some time diligently, purposely praying together. May we we realize the blessing that it is. I'm going to challenge you more on this tonight. So if you're looking for a challenge, come back this evening at 6 o'clock. Here's two things I want to leave you with, and then we'll, then, we'll, then we'll wrap it up. Number one, deepen your personal prayer life. Be like Jesus. Set the alarm on your phone. 
you don't have to pray all through the night. Set it for five minutes earlier than normal. Deepen it. If it's been a while since you've responded to the text from God, maybe just check in. He's not looking to guilt you or shame you. He wants to hear from you because he loves you. So, so let me make this more, more specific. I'm going to give you what I call the 604 challenge. Why 604? I don't know. 6.04 a.m. sounded like a good challenge. Set an alarm for 6.04 a.m. Now, some of you probably, Clayton McCullough's been up for four hours by then. But, but at 6.04 a.m., I want you to set an alarm for yourself to spend some time with God. Spend two minutes or 20 minutes. I don't care. 6.04 a.m. But I just like this idea that we're all together in this. So if, you, if it's been a while since you've talked to the Lord, set your alarm. Get your phone out right now and set it for 6.04 a.m. And just devote yourself. And if you're super busy at that time, join Clayton and set it for 2.04 a.m. That's fine. Second, I want you to widen our church prayer life. I want you to pray for people for both their physical needs and their spiritual needs. I want you to pray not just for people, but take the Justin Abraham example and pray with people. I'll challenge you to do that today as you leave. When you're talking with someone, just say it. Can I pray for you? May I pray with you? Now, if you're thinking, gosh, that seems super awkward, just pause and think about how the enemy's working in your head. You're at church with mostly Christian people. Why would it feel awkward to pray to the one to whom we have gathered to worship? So pray with someone. I don't care who that is, but we have lots of people with physical and spiritual needs. So pray with someone. All right? That's it. Deepen your personal prayer life. Take the 604 challenge and widen our church prayer life. When you get that prayer tree email, send an email. Hey, I prayed for you. Send them a text. Hey, I prayed for you. Send them a voice text and say, and, and leave a prayer with them. Call them. Send them a card. Widen your prayer influence at church. As we think about praying together, may we remember the one to whom we pray to. Let's finish by worshiping him together. And if you have a spiritual need, if there's some way that we can help you, we'll have shepherds at the back. Simply during this next song, Jason will lead us. In this next song, go to the back. Find one of the men who stood earlier, one of our shepherds, And they will pray with you, I'm convinced. And if we can help you as a public body, we'll do that too. So if you have a spiritual need, if you need to put on Christ in baptism, if you need to come to the water, if you need prayers because you're in a spiritual asthma attack, whatever need you might have, won't you go to the back in this next song? Jace, will you lead us, please?